What comes to mind when you think of other churches that you've been a part of, if you have been a part of other churches? Uh, I reckon if I went around the room, there'd probably be uh, a lot of mixed emotions. Maybe for some of you, actually, it'd be quite painful, maybe difficult memories, because for whatever reason, things maybe didn't work out very well in that church. Uh, maybe for others, you have great fondness, and you think of churches that you've been a part of, and, and you're you know, almost like an old church family that, that, that you, you miss greatly. I know that's how I feel about Woodford's. But do you have hopes for churches like that? Do you have a desire to see churches that you used to be a part of flourish? Surely that would be a good thing to be praying about, wouldn't it? That, that we would be asking God to, to bless all churches for his glory. That they would be persevering in their faith, uh, in their outreach. A couple of weeks ago, as we started this little series in 1 Thessalonians, uh, Wayne uh, read out some of the passage and adjusted it uh, to, to, to be written from Mighton and Emmanuel churches, which were the churches that planted this one. Uh, and it was quite interesting just to think about that, wasn't it? What, what, would, what would their hopes for us as a church be? That we would be growing, we'd be persevering, that we would be uh, fruitful trees. Remember the, the, the imagery about trees. Well, actually, we see something similar going on here uh, in our passage today. What we see is Paul's heart and desire for the church, even though he's, he's far off at the moment. Uh, we see what he wants for them, really clearly. Uh, he began the letter by uh, talking a bit about their faith and giving thanks for how they're persevering, that they're, they're living it out. Uh, and it was, he was just so thankful for, their, for what they were doing. Uh, and then in chapter 2 last week, we looked at how kind of Paul's ministry played out, how he was involved, how he made disciples in that place. And then how they responded too. And now we get to, to another section really that kind of brings us along in the story a bit more. Helps us understand what happened between the church and with Paul uh, and the others. And if you scan through, actually you'll see it's quite straightforward. If, if you just look through the verses, let me summarise them for you. It starts with Paul basically, he really wants to go back to the church. He's desperate to see them again. But he's not been able to, to do that. So he sends Timothy to go back, and instead that he's the one who encourages the church, finds out how the church is doing, and then Timothy has now come back to Paul and given him some good news, the church is doing well, they're flourishing, uh, and so he prays that that would continue, that they'd be growing even more. So that's kind of what we see in this passage. Sermon done, right? Nice quick short one. Not quite, because in the midst of that very, you know, fairly straightforward account of, of you know, what, what was happening, there's some really deep things that we need to notice and we can learn from. So I've got three that I want to, to draw out and mention for us today. And here's the first one that we see. True love and care for the church. True love and care for the church. Look at verse 17, if you have a Bible there, 2 verse 17. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. Now, in the previous passage, he's talked, he's spoken about being like a father and a mother to this church, and now he's speaking as if he's been orphaned. It's, it's a word that means to be torn away, ripped away from the church because of the persecution that, that he was there. He had to leave the city, but he's got this intense care and love for the church. He's desperate to go back and see them. It, 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 it feels like he's been orphaned. That's a strong, strong way of putting it, isn't it? And we, and we see it all the way through. Look at 3 verse 1. 
It says, when we could stand it no longer. It's like they, they, they tried to sort of maybe ignore the, the, the painful things that happened, but ultimately it came too much. They had to do something. They sent Timothy. And then they, they received this good news back in verse 6. That this desire for each other, this love and care for each other is reciprocal. The church also wants to see them and have these fond memories of their time together. But verse 8, I think, is, is another level again. Paul says, for now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. For now we really live. That's, that's an amazing statement, isn't it? It's as if, actually, they were dead before. Kind of, in the trials, the trouble they were facing, not knowing how the church was doing, it was as if they were dead. Uh, and now they've heard this news, it's like a resurrection, it's like new life. They live again. Now we really live because you're doing well as a church. It's just, I think, just we see it again and again in this chapter, this real intense love and care and concern for this church from Paul and the others. Who, who kind of went there and, and shared the gospel in the first place. And we see why in verses 19 and 20 of chapter 2. Read those with me. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. Now, we chose the name Joy for our daughter, uh, partly because that was my grandmother's name, uh, and partly because we just really like the name. <laughs> uh, but but the, the thing is, she totally lives up to her name. She really does. She brings us so much joy as a family. Uh, as she's growing up, as she's developing, as she, she's, she, she's, you know, she's walking around now like she owns the place. It, it gives us pride. We're, we're proud. And we're joyful because of, of seeing her grow. And there's, I think, similar thing happening with Paul in those verses. It's almost like fatherly pride. He loves the church. He's filled with joy at the church, seeing it grow, seeing it develop. But you see the extent. It's not just kind of, oh, it's giving him joy now, but it's looking to the future. He's saying that the hope I will have in the future, the crown that I have, is you. That's how, you know, part of what I'll be glorying in and boasting in when Christ returns is you and your faith. That's, that's staggering, isn't it? Staggering language from Paul. The, the crown was the crown given to an athlete when they'd won the race, you know, that sort of laurel wreath that you see in those old uh, Greek statues. Uh, and the hope he's talking about, it's not kind of, oh, I hope that this might happen. Or, or It's not like that. It's the certain hope, that the reassurance for the future, that certainty. And Paul's basically saying, look, my hope when I come to, to see Jesus will be the people that I've shared the gospel with, the people who have responded, the people who are, are trusting in Jesus. That's my hope, he says. It's an amazing thing, I think, for him to say. And I see the love that he expresses here again and again in the passage, and then I look at my own heart, and I think, do I have that depth of love for other believers? Do I grieve like he does when we're separated? Does it feel like new life when I hear good news? Is that true for you? Is that true for us as a church? Uh, we were talking a bit about this last week, and I spoke about how it's brilliant, isn't it, that we've been able to hopefully lovingly welcome people to the church. And we've heard you know, people who, who have joined us saying, we're really grateful for the warm welcome we've received and that the, the love that's been shown. And praise God, that's wonderful. But that's kind of step one, do you see? That actually Paul's talking about much deeper, much richer, true love and unity through the gospel. Uh, here 
What does that look like? Well, let me, uh, let me take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is a passage that's often read at a wedding, uh, and uh, I can understand why. But actually, the primary context of that passage is talking about love within the church and what love within the church should look like. So here is, here's the passage up on the screen. Sorry about the flashing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That is some list, isn't it? Is that true for us? We should pray, shouldn't we, that it would be. We're a new church family. We've only been going for a few years. And love, it, it takes time. It grows over time. So we need to spend time with each other. We need to get to know each other better. We need to grow in that trust and that honesty and that, that unity that comes when we love each other well. I think that some of the most challenging are, are where it says, uh, love is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. That's, that's real love. That's, that's love, gospel-hearted love, isn't it? That's a real challenge. Uh, we came from another church in Woodford when we moved up here, and that church had been going for about 30 plus years, I think it was. And there have been people in the church that whole time, the whole 30 years that they've been there when it was first planted. And you know what? It was wonderful to see real deep friendships and deep love for each other in the church. There was, they knew each other so well, and it was, it was wonderful to see that. And at the same time, as you can imagine, over that length of time, there were also some deep hurts and some things that were hard to let go of. Forgiveness is it, really hard. It's really painful. It's only possible when we remember the gospel, how much we've been forgiven, thanks to the Lord Jesus. So there's no shortcuts when it comes to kind of wanting that same love that, that Paul has for this church. It's something we need to be praying for each other, seeking out, you know, seeking to be sacrificial, how we spend our time, how we love each other well. We want to get to know each other more closely. Home groups are a really good way of doing that. If you're not already in a home group, then uh, make yourself known and we can we can make sure you can come along to one. But isn't it amazing to think, just like Paul, actually, there is an element of eternal hope here, even in our friendships, our relationships. If we encourage each other to remain in Christ, if we cling to the cross, cling to the forgiveness found in Jesus... So actually, there will be a crown of life in eternity. Each other, we will be our, our, our glory and our joy because we are following Jesus. That's a big vision, isn't it? A big thing to say about our, our relationships as a church. Think about that eternal perspective, maybe, when things are hard. We want to, to look forward to when, when Jesus returns or when we go and be with him. And we have that, that, that close bonds of love that only the gospel brings about. So true love and care for the church. Second thing we see here, here, and it's a it's a definite shift, is this: the reality of satanic opposition. He's mentioned twice in these verses. Look at verse eighteen, where it says, "For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way." And then in verse chapter three, verse five, for this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labours might have been in vain. 
Now, it seems to me that, that in our Western Christian culture, we just don't really think about Satan very much and, and, and the opposition, the spiritual opposition that is there. We hear, don't we, of, of missionaries experiencing spiritual attacks and things like that, and think, well, it doesn't really happen here, does it? That's, that's not something that happens in Kenilworth. But Paul's pretty blunt, isn't he? In verse 18, he's been trying to go back to this church. He's desperate to go back there, but he says, but Satan blocks our way. The word originally was a word that means, uh, it was when an army ripped up the road to stop you know, the enemy coming through. And that's what Paul's saying it's like. Satan had torn up the road and stopped me coming back to you. We don't know exactly what Paul is describing here, what, what the sort of exact situation he means. There's a lot of speculation out there, but it doesn't seem helpful to kind of go, well, it could be this, could be that. We're not sure. But what we are sure about is what Paul says. That he was very, he, he understood that it was Satan stopping the, the progress of the gospel in some sense here. And then in 3 verse 5, it, it talks about the tempter. The tempter. Paul's theory is that in their absence, Satan somehow would have tempted the Christians away from their faith. There would have been many messages, many worldviews in that city that they would have been listening to. And it would be easy, maybe, for even someone to come into the church and, and try and pull them away from the truth. Especially, think about it, if they've been, they're being persecuted for their faith. We see that, that being talked about here. Surely it would have been easier for them to, to renounce their faith and, you know, go along with the crowds. Satan is a tempter and a liar and does whatever he can to draw people away from Christ. And Paul does not want those efforts. You see that, you know, he went to Thessalonica, he loved the people. They responded greatly to the gospel. He doesn't want that to, 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 be, to be lost. Do you see that? And the good news is that it wasn't lost. They were still holding firm. They were standing firm. But I think it's helpful for us to note just Paul's mention of it. He doesn't make it a huge thing, but it's not like he just completely ignores it and never mentions it. We need to be realistic about the fact that Satan exists, that he is at work in this world. And do you know what? He hates people glorifying God. He will work uh, against Christians, which means we need to be on our guard. We need to be aware that there will be opposition to the gospel. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says this, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's a dangerous enemy, a prowling lion. We need to be aware of that. So, so what, what do we do with this? Well, it seems to me that probably we end up heading towards one of two extremes. I think for some people, everything suddenly becomes a sort of a satanic attack of some sort. You know, even the smallest frustrations in daily life. Something like, I couldn't find a parking space. Something like that, you know, clearly, you know, Satan was hindering me. Or you, you, someone you don't get on with very well, you think, well, they've clearly got a spirit of dissension. Or when you fall ill, you think there must be some evil involved here. And, and you know, everything, you can start spiralling. And that's really dangerous, I think. Because, firstly, we don't see that in Scripture. We don't see every little thing being blamed on Satan. Look through the New Testament especially, and the apostles don't do that. They don't always do that. And there are other places, actually, where Paul's plans are changed, so they don't work out, and he doesn't blame Satan for them. So it's not a sort of every-time thing. And it's also dangerous because it can stop us taking responsibility for our own sin. 
Yes, he is the tempter, but we're the ones that give in to that temptation. And we need to recognise that when we sin, it's not just kind of, well, uh, Satan made me do it, actually. It's nothing to admit, it was all Satan. No, we, we are responsible for our sin. We, 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 we need to own that. We need to own the fact that our sinful hearts choose to go against God. And that's why we desperately need the grace of Jesus to, to, to know that we're forgiven. So that's one extreme, that kind of just seeing it everywhere. But I think the other extreme is probably more likely for us, that we never, ever think about it. We never consider that Satan might be at work in our world. It's not part of our thought processes. We never think that, that he might be opposed to, to gospel ministry and, and actually seeing that playing out. And you know what? That's really dangerous as well. Because it can make us complacent. It can make us susceptible to spiritual attack because we are not alert and not of sober mind, as that verse said. We're not on guard against temptation. We're warned to be on our guard. And if we're not, that's really dangerous, isn't it? Because we're not seeking Christ's help, the Holy Spirit's help from spiritual attack. We're not putting on the armour of God. If you want to read a bit more about this, have a look at the end of Ephesians chapter 6, which talks about putting on the armour of God so that you take a stand against the devil's schemes. That's what it says. That's why you sort of arm yourself with with all of the the things that God gives us, the faith and the the hope. uh, It's to guard and stand against the devil. So surely, rather than those extremes, we need to somehow find a balance in the middle. We need to not attribute every little thing to satanic attack, but we need to be on our guard. We need to be ready to fight against the devil's schemes. Because he can, and he does work in our world. He is the father of lies and the tempter. We need to not ignore that. We need to be ready to fight with the Holy Spirit's help. But it's important with all that in mind to remember that actually Jesus has already won the victory. Satan clearly you know, impacted on Paul's ministry and he can do the same in our lives. He can hinder our faith, but he will not defeat it. We do not need to fear Satan uh, because we are united with Christ. And remember, he's already dealt the ultimate decisive blow in this battle. When he died on the cross, he defeated Satan. Hebrews 2.14 says, Jesus too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. When Jesus died on the cross, like that, the power that, that, that Satan has because of death was broken. Because Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose to life. He conquered death. He conquered Satan. 1 John 3 verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. It's good to remember those, have those in mind as well. That Satan is not somehow equal to God. That Jesus has already won the battle. And we know that in the future Satan will face justice and wrath. And so when we resist him, we can do that secure in the knowledge that if we're trusting in Jesus alone, we are safe, we are forgiven. We have the Holy Spirit empowering us, we can stand firm. I'm not going to say any more about that. There's plenty more you know, to think, perhaps. And if you've got questions or if you'd like to read some more, I found some helpful articles as I was preparing. I'd be very happy to, to share those with you. But let's move on, because there's more to see in this passage. And this is the third thing, and it's really good. A desire to strengthen the church. A desire to strengthen the church. There are several points. We see not just his love and his care, but actually his desire to see them grow and become stronger in their faith. 
We see it firstly in standing firm against persecution. Chapter 3, verse 2, look at this. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. So, see, they didn't send Timothy just to kind of find out how the church was doing. They sent him to strengthen and encourage the church, because they were facing persecution. They were facing real trials and difficulty. And it's not like Paul says, oh, I can't believe that's happening. He's not surprised at all. He's saying, of course it's going to happen for you. He knew how likely it is that the church would face opposition and trial because of their trust in Jesus. Actually, that's another way that Satan works. He blinds the minds of unbelievers. We see that in 2 Corinthians 4. He blinds the minds of unbelievers, so no wonder they hate the truth and want to, 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 to do things against it. We see that today just as much as we did uh, in the time of Thessalonians. The church will be persecuted. But Paul, Paul, you see, he wants them to grow and be strengthened so that they won't be shaken, they won't be unsettled. Going back to that tree imagery, it's, it's deepening the roots, digging down stronger faith so that when the storm comes, the tree is not ripped up and destroyed. They, they need to know, they need to remember who they are in Christ. That, that certain hope that they have because of, uh, of what Christ has done for them. And that is exactly true for us as well today. That we will sometimes face opposition and persecution because we believe in the truth. People hate the idea that there is truth, there is one way to know God. And they will stand against it. We need to prepare for that. We need to expect it to some extent. And as we do that, that's why we need to encourage each other. To to, to be prepared to stand firm when the trouble comes. To keep holding on to that hope of Jesus. And if we do that, if we keep reminding each other, keep helping each other know that that wonderful truth of being his children. That we are saved and we're loved and we're forgiven. That, that gives us that strength to, to, to grow more deep roots in, in faith in Jesus, to stand up when we face trial and difficulty. And if actually you're going through persecution at the minute, if you're, if you're facing trials, then don't suffer alone, you know, share it with, with someone or and we can pray and we can pray for you as a church. We encourage you to stand firm at, the, at that moment. It was, per, it was about persecution and it was also to supply what was lacking. Chapter 3, verse 10, you see that. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Remember the, the church in Thessalonica was very new. Uh, these lots of new believers have been responding to the ministry of Paul and, and his friends as they shared the gospel. And it, it wasn't long. They didn't have a long time with the church before they had to leave the city. I think it was only a few weeks and so they needed to be taught the truth. They, they, they needed, there were some key areas that they needed to, to understand better. And actually we'll see that those, uh, Paul explained some of those in chapters 4 and 5, as we'll look at in the weeks ahead. But do you see Paul's heart here? He, he wants to see the church strengthened in their knowledge, in their understanding of the gospel, in the hope that they have as believers, and for then how that means for how they live now. I think we just want to examine our own hearts and we say, is that what we want for us as a church and for, for other churches that we know? 
The truth is there is always something lacking in our faith. Uh, if you're a new believer, then you may still need to learn some of the deeper truths of the gospel and, uh, and learn some of the, the important things that, that maybe haven't become clear yet. If you've been a believer for a long time and there's still things we need to learn. We need to, to come humbly, don't we? Still seeking to grow, not thinking we've somehow made it. Because we haven't. We still need Jesus. We need to encourage each other rather than kind of thinking we somehow know it all or we know it best. We have things that are lacking in our faith and we need to grow together as a church. So it's good think, to have that in mind that we want to, to do that. We want to supply what is lacking to other people. And we want to have what is lacking in us supplied to us as we share together as a church. We want to encourage them to keep growing in our faith, to keep living for Christ day by day. This passage has a lot of riches for believers. And there's another challenge here. Maybe if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're not a believer in Jesus. My longing, just like Paul's, I think, is for you to see what Jesus has done for you, what it can mean for you to become part of God's family, to know that security, to not have any fear, I just want to encourage you to not ignore Jesus and his call on your life. If you've got any questions, if you've got any thoughts about it, then, then speak to someone. Speak to God. Ask for his help to show you the truth. Well, we're going to finish, like Paul finishes, uh, with with a time of prayer. Look at this. Uh, look at the prayer that he reads. Uh, sorry, not reads, that he says here. Uh, chapter, verses 11 to 13. I'll stop on the screen. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. It sums up this passage really well, doesn't it? He prays for a deeper love within the church family. And of course for those outside who who need Jesus, a deeper love for them as well. We've seen Paul's love for the church and his prayer is that they would grow in the same. And we need to pray the same for us, that we would be growing in that love, reflecting ultimately the, the love that God has shown us. His patience, his forgiveness, his grace. And then showing that love to, to those around us as well. And then that their hearts would be strengthened. That's a great prayer, isn't it? They would be blameless and holy when Christ returns. Their hearts need to be strengthened to keep relying on God's grace and God's mercy. Not to look elsewhere to try and justify themselves. But actually, they can be confident that God will find them blameless on the last day because Christ has paid for their sin. He has cleansed them of all their sin if they're trusting in him. But Paul's prayer is remembering that, but also living that out, responding to that, trusting Jesus alone, and responding by, by striving to be blameless and holy. Let's pray that for each other. Not that we'd be a little bit holy here and there, or blameless sometimes, but holy and blameless. What a great thing to be praying for each other. And we do that as Christ strengthens us by his spirit, as we trust in his gospel. It's a huge thing to pray. And so we're going to do that. Let's pray for each other now. Uh, why don't you if, you, if you can, if there's someone nearby, why not just pray together briefly? Uh, I've just highlighted some of the, the, the key points there, that we would grow in our love for each other, 
that we'd grow and be strengthened. Pray that for ourselves, pray that for other churches, uh, like I started the sermon with. Uh, if you haven't got someone nearby, if you prefer to pray on your own, that's fine. There's no pressure, but wouldn't it be good to, to finish this time now just to pray together uh, about these things? So let's spend a few minutes in prayer, and then I'll, I'll close close uh, the sermon. Thanks. Father God, we do pray and uh, um, thank you again for your word. Thank you for Paul's just such clear heart of love for, him, for the church here. Would you grow the same in us? Would you strengthen our hearts? Would you help us to live holy and blameless lives in your power? Would you help us to resist the opposition of Satan? And would you, you know, would you supply what is lacking in our faith, Lord, as we meet together, as we worship you together? We thank you uh, for, for what you what you are doing amongst us, for, for how you are at work. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for your love poured out for us in what Christ did in dying and, and rising again. And just ask that you would, you would keep us united as a church around the, the gospel, around, uh, the th- around the fact that you have saved us and brought us together. Please be with us, we pray. Amen.